Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Amen. And while you're going there, let me try to see if we can have a little bit of a conversation um, as, we, as we get ready to deep dive in Exodus. This has been a journey for us, right? We've, we've been walking through this for a number of weeks, a number of months, and, and, and we, there's a tendency sometimes to look at Israel and think to yourself, man, these guys, I mean, how much, how much does God have to show them in order, in order for them to actually begin to obey? They just seem like a bunch of knuckleheads at times, right? And, and, and so you just kind of read over and over again and you think to yourself, I don't know what it's going to take for them to, to, to get it so to speak. But, I, but I, I want to draw your attention, before we jump into Exodus 32, I want to draw your attention to a text that we find in, in uh, the Bible about Israel. And that, and that text is actually 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 13. These are God's words. I want you to hear them. He says this, Paul says to the church at Corinth, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And he continues on, verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the, the destroyer. Now, here's the key. Here's the linchpin for me. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. What's happening here? Here Paul is making a very important point, and, this, and the point is this about Israel. We are very much like Israel. And so their journey was captured for us in part to ensure that we learn from that journey. We must grow so comfortable, or we must not grow so comfortable in our own selves that we fail to follow God. That is a lesson that Israel is teaching us this morning. Verse 12 again of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That is a lesson that Israel is teaching us. And so in order to make that point, Paul takes the Corinthians through Israel's history and gives the church at Corinth a history lesson in verses 1 through 4 of that chapter. He says, listen, they were under a divine pillar 
of cloud by day and the divine pillar of fire by night. They, they saw they saw it. They witnessed it. They were all there when Moses uh, brought forth the ten plagues by the hand of God or served as a representative as God brought forth the ten plagues. They were all there when Moses raised his staff at the, at the banks of the Red Sea and all of a sudden two walls formed, walls, hydro walls, walls of water. And then dry land in between those walls, literally creating a hydro corridor for Israel to walk in and walk on. And then they were there as they looked behind them and saw Pharaoh's soldiers in pursuit and saw the waters recede back or fall back on top of those soldiers. They were there for that. They were all there when they heard and saw the thunder and the lightning and the clouds surround the mountain as God's voice came from the mountaintop. They were there. And yet, Exodus 32 happens. So Exodus 32 is here for us this morning in part to learn so that we don't do what they did. Now, back to the text that I told you guys to turn to. Verses 1 through 6, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he, and received, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your Gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is intended to teach us about ourselves, not just simply for us to look at Israel and say, oh my goodness, these knuckleheads. No, this is intended to teach us about ourselves. So what do we learn here? Well, first thing that we learn is we learn that when God doesn't move fast enough for us, we invent gods of our own. When God does not move fast enough for us, we invent gods of our own. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together and said, hey, Aaron, up, up. We haven't seen Moses. Doesn't look like he's coming back. This God that he's had us out here worshiping doesn't appear to be concerned. So make some gods for us. We see that the longer the Israelites have to wait on God, the more they lose sight of God. The more they lose sight of his nature, the more they lose sight of his character, the more they lose sight of his history. 
We're not quite sure how long Moses actually has been up in the mountain or been up on the mountain in fellowship with God and receiving instruction from God. But what we do know is how much the people have seen from God before he went back up to the mountain. Remember, we talked about the earlier words that Paul shared with the church at Corinth in the New Testament. The Red Sea, the pillar of fire, the cloud by day, the, 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 the pillar of fire by night, the thunder and the lightning that drove the people literally to say to Moses, hey, listen, we want you to come talk to us. Don't let God talk to us. That thunder and lightning was really scary. In fact, the last time that Israel saw Moses before he went up to the mountain, the last time that they saw Moses, the people were together, and, 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 and we see the same type of divine work happening in their midst. It's found in chapter 24. In chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 9, it says, Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and, se and, the 70, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel, and they were under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. In verse 15, it says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. Ladies and gentlemen, saints of God, this is the last sight that the people saw before Moses went up to the mountain. And they haven't heard from him since. And how do they respond as they have to wait on God? Man, what's going on? God, what's going on? Man, Aaron, where's your boy? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Come on, make us some gods. After seeing this, Here's something that you need to know about Israel, and by default, something that you need to know about you. It really does not take us long to move on from God and try other things. If he makes us wait just a little too long for our comfort, we are tempted to drift from him. Again, let's look back at chapter 24. The last time that these people saw Moses, this is also what happened in chapter 24. It's found in verse 3. He says this, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is happening around the same time that Moses and, and Aaron and his sons, they saw this sapphire stone-like flooring, and they saw God in all of his glory and splendor. The people also said during that same time, hey, whatever God has instructed you to, uh, for us to do, we will do. Well, guess the first words that I'm sure Moses gave them coming down off of that mountain the first time. This, verse 2 of chapter 20 of Exodus. Listen, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. We know that Moses gave them those instructions because those were some of the first instructions that God gave to Moses. And they said, yes, everything the Lord has told you, we will do. And that was the last time that they saw Moses. And off Moses went back up to the mountaintop to receive more instruction. Now we have this. Aaron, up, make some gods for us. So they've already violated commandment one and commandment two. And they are making graven images in the place of God. And to make matters worse, now they're saying to themselves, because remember, God said what? He introduced himself and said, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, since they haven't seen Moses in a little while, they are saying, make us graven images but not just that, they're saying this, verse 4 of chapter 32. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Saints of God, they are literally replacing God. Just because they haven't seen Moses in a little while. They have completely and totally turned everything upside down. They're breaking his commandments. They're replacing him because they haven't seen him in a little while. How often does that happen in your life? How often does this happen with us when we, we wait on God and we don't see or we don't, we don't perceive to see God moving? And then we run to other things. Some of you in this room are quietly saying to yourself, I've waited on God long enough. And he doesn't appear to be at work. So I'm going to do things my way. Learn Israel's lesson here, saints of God. We also learn from Israel this. We learn that when we invent our gods, we often create them from the familiar. Our gods typically come from what's familiar and comfortable to us. You see, with Moses out of sight for Israel and with God out of sight for Israel, the Israelites reverted back to their old ways and reverted back to their old gods. The golden calf was not just picked kind of at random. The golden calf was most likely a connection back to the pagan, uh, pagan idolatry of Egypt where cows were extremely prominent and cows were literally worshipped. One idol that, that was especially prominent in Egypt was the, was the goddess Hathor. And the goddess Hathor had, had a face of a Cow, And according to scholars, she was considered the goddess of mothers and, and women and women's physical and emotional and psychological well-being. And she was also considered the goddess of dance and the goddess of beauty and the goddess of music and the personification of joy. Now read that or hear that 
in light of verse 6 of chapter 32. Look there with me. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. Listen, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Later on, we read in verses 17 through 19 of this same chapter, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. This goddess of dancing and music and beauty and joy had already caught the people up in a rapture of sorts. And they were all having a good time and playing and enjoying themselves, worshiping this cow. But as I said, this cow was not just any cow, so to speak. This was a cow that they had grown quite familiar with. Saints, there are often times that we run back when God isn't moving fast enough. We run back to our comforts. We run back to the old ways. We say to ourselves, if God isn't going to do it, then I'm going to go back to, to what I used to do because, because, because what I used to do kind of worked. One scholar says about Israel in this moment where Moses finds them in this feverish worship of another god, a pagan god, an idol. He says this, he says, the absence of Moses simply gave the Israelites the opportunity to worship openly what they had already been worshiping in their hearts. You see, our former idols are oftentimes nearer to us than we realize. And when hardship and when difficulty and when seasons of waiting arrive, we often feel the need to turn back to those idols that we once knew. Maybe no one here um, this morning or anyone watching online has an inventory of golden cows in your closet to pull out in your times of difficulty or hardship or waiting, but do you have some idols of the heart that seek to replace Jesus in those moments? Maybe in those moments you're tempted to run back to abusing the bottle of alcohol or the bottle of prescription drugs or the, or, or the, or the bag of street drugs. Maybe in those moments you're, you're, you're tempted to bury yourself in a political or even ethnic identity and find more meaning in your whiteness or your blackness rather than in Christ or in your de de democraticism or your republicanism than you are in Christ and in the hope of the gospel. We might not have a closet full of golden calves, but make no mistake, saints, we have familiar idols that we like to run back to when things get tough on this side of our faith. These past few years, have, we have witnessed a, a number of high-profile departures from, 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 from Christianity, pastors and worship singers and theologians. And, 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 and when you look and you ask yourself, why is that? I'm sure there are several reasons, but, but one of those reasons is because in our moments of waiting, 
In our moments of difficulty, in our moments of doubt, when, uh, when, when God feels distant and absent, we're prone to run back towards what we know and what we thought and what we thought used to bring us comfort. They thought they had left Egypt behind, but in the moment of crisis, we now see that Egypt and its gods weren't far away. And some of you are in a crisis of your own this morning, the difficulty of this season. Maybe you're watching from home or maybe you're here in this audience this morning, but, but the difficulty of this season is pushing you to your idols of old. So how do you combat this tug? A couple of ways. Number one, you remember that your idols are useless to you. You see, this idol that Israel was turning to was helpless to change Israel's situation, helpless to change their circumstances. They were worse off by placing their trust in it. In fact, the psalmist says, Psalm 135, verse 15, he says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. So many times we turn. From the creator to the created in search of hope, in search of peace, in search of joy, in search of purpose and fulfillment. But no created thing was meant to ultimately provide you those things. Only the creator can do that. And by seeking those things, to find, what, to find the things that I've mentioned, we, we become not Filled with more life, we become more lifeless, like the idols in which we're pursuing. That's why the more we make a political party our savior, the more obnoxious we begin to sound. Or the more we make a drug or the more we make a bottle of alcohol our peace, the more destructive we become. Or the more we give ourselves over to toxic, intimate relationships, the more our decision-making becomes unreasonable and even foolish. You see, as we give ourselves over to idols, we become less of who God designed us to be because we become more like the idols that we're giving our hearts over to. When you feel the tug back, to the familiar idols of old, you cannot forget the eventual end that those idols will bring you to. A second way to help you in this tug is to also remember that God is still at work even when it doesn't feel like he's at work. At the base of this mountain, while the people were declaring that, that, that Moses and God had left them behind, and were forging ahead with their forging of new carved and created gods based on the good old days when they, the good old days of slavery back in Egypt. Moses was at the top of the mountain with God receiving instruction for how they were to worship this God. 
Do you understand that? They were at the base saying, God has forgotten us. Moses has forgotten us. Moses was at the top as God was laying out the details for how his people ought to worship. While Aaron was at the bottom of the mountain being appointed the high priest for a cow. Up, Aaron. Make us gods. Make us an altar for these gods. Offer sacrifices to these gods. God was at the top of the mountain with Moses laying out his plans for Aaron and laying out his plans for Aaron's whole family line to become a royal priesthood unto God, wholly dedicated to him. Aaron was at the bottom not even realizing that at the top God was establishing his call and purpose. While Israel was at the bottom partying and, and celebrating this dead engraved statue with no ability to see, hear, talk, think, or act and becoming more like that statue, God was at the top with Moses laying out the blueprint for worship of the true and living God, the one who not only sees and hears and knows all, but the one in whom we have, we, we have our being and we live and we move. In other words, while Israel was at the bottom declaring that God and his servant had abandoned them, God was at the top of the mountain preparing the way for them. Saints of God, in some ways, I feel like we are at the bottom of the mountain right now. Racial bigotry and, and animosity seems to be rising our toxic political dialogue and partisanship seems to be roaring. Leaders throughout our country are being exposed time and time again for either participating in or bundling issues of sexual abuse in our churches. We've lost nearly 4 million people in the world to a pandemic. 600,000 of those people right here in the U.S. Churches are closing, membership in many places is shrinking, and it would be so easy for us to run back to the old dead idols and seek satisfaction, seek purpose, seek fulfillment. But, it, but, but could it be that while we are down at the bottom of the mountain, ready to walk away from all of this, God the Father is in fact at the top of the mountain with Christ himself making preparation and provision for his people to grow in their knowledge of him, to grow in their love for him, and to grow in their love for the neighbors around them and the world around them. Could that be what God is doing? Learn Israel's lesson here. Don't move too quickly away from God, back to the familiar. Last lesson this morning, we learned that our, our idolatry deserves God's judgment. We learned from Israel that our idolatry deserves God's judgment. Here we find in the text, verse 7 of chapter 32, read this with me or look with me. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. 
They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. Now, it's getting serious when you hear somebody say, let me alone. That my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. In other words, let's just start over. Eradicate them all. We'll make a new nation. You know, Corey and I were talking about verse 7 earlier this week because we, both he and I absolutely love how God moves from declaring Israel for the most part as his people to now, to now God is saying, Moses, go down for your people. It's like, it's, it's like when, you, when you and your wife are talking about your children and one of your children does something out of the way. Your wife might say, you need to get your son. What you mean my son? He's our son, right? These, these ain't just my people, God. He's your people. He's our people, right? No, God said, get your people, Moses. God is like, these people don't want to claim me. So I'm going to give them their wish. Start over. And Moses asked for grace. In verse 13, he says, remember Abraham, talking to God. Remember Isaac, talking to God. Remember Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give it to your offspring. And they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. He said, remember Remember what you said, God. Remember what you promised, God. And God said, okay. He relented. And then Moses took his tablets, all the work that he had recorded, as God laid out painstakingly every commandment and every instruction about what to do and how to worship him. And he brought his tablets down the mountain. And he got down to the bottom and as he was, I'm, I, I'm imagining this now, as he was walking down and getting closer, and Joshua's like, you hear that? Hear that sound? Sounds like a party down there. And Moses gets down, and they are going buck wild down there. Literally just going crazy, losing their minds, dancing, partying, celebrating. They got the golden calf. You know, they're waving, probably doing something crazy, right? And, and Moses is like, what? And destroys the tablets right there. Destroys the tablets, takes the tablets, mixes some concoction with the tablet powder and makes the people drink the powder from the tablets. And what else happens? People die for this. Literally, people die. People are killed for this in judgment. And so what we see is that idolatry deserves God's wrath. 
And Moses becomes an agent for that wrath. Your idolatry, my idolatry deserves that wrath. But praise God for a new agent. One who came down from heaven himself. One who was God but thought it not thought it not robbery to be equal, considered equal with God the Father, and yet made himself of no reputation, humbled himself, came down from heaven, humbled himself in his lifestyle all the way to the point of the cross, and hung on the cross, absorbing the judgment that was due to you and I. Absorbing the judgment that was due to you and I for our our idolatry. And by so doing, offering us the opportunity to have eternal life. If we trust him, if we turn to him, if we lay down our lives and say, God, it's you. Christ, it's you. I yield myself to you. I trust you with my life. Be the Lord of my life. Saints of God, Moses took lies that deserve God's wrath and judgment. But we have one who laid down his life for those that deserve wrath and judgment. And in so doing, absorbed the wrath and the judgment for all those who would cling to him. This is a lesson that Israel is teaching us. Saints of God, we are no different than Israel. We fumble, we stumble. It doesn't take long before we linger, I mean, before we drift. And when we drift, we often drift back to familiar territory. And for our drifting away from an absolute holy God, we deserve judgment and punishment and wrath. Saints of God, we are also no different than Israel in the sense that God has not forgot his promises towards you and I. And part of that promise is the arrival of a Savior of the world. For all those who would submit to that Savior, he grants mercy. I invite you, whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting in this audience this morning, I invite you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in, so, and in so doing, receive the eternal life that comes, comes from trusting him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. And we give you-